Welcome to the Pilot Podcast, where we watch the pilot episodes of TV shows and answer your question, should I watch this? My name is BJ. And my name is Me Too. And this week, we're checking out Utopia Falls on Hulu, Hintified on Netflix, I Am Not Okay With This on Netflix, Cherish the Day on OWN, and Night on Earth on Netflix. So stay tuned to the end to find out if BJ would handle himself well nocturnally in the Sahara. No, there's a lot of danger. You could just burrow like my icon, the golden mole. That's not my icon, but you'll find out about that later in our episode. Let's start with something in the future. Mm-hmm. Utopia Falls on Hulu, a sci-fi adventure. All right, Beach, what happened in this first episode? Sure. So on Utopia Falls, we're introduced to our main character, Aaliyah. And she is part of this world in the future where something bad that happened on Earth. And it sent people underground at first, but then they were able to come back and rebuild their city of New Babel. And they have this force field protecting everyone from outside dangers and poison. And they have an interesting setup where they're divided into four sectors. I guess this is what their founder, Gaia, thought was best. Mm Mm-hmm. And so they have the reform sector, the nature sector, the progress sector, and the industry sector. And depending on where you're assigned, you have specific tasks, like nature sector is in charge of all of the food for the community. And the progress sector, they're making all of our technology and making sure we have all the infrastructure we need. And our story is about Aaliyah and other 16-year-olds who once a year are participating in an event called the Exemplar where they will compete to be the community cultural ambassador. So what you can gather from that final task that these teens have to complete is BJ tricked me into watching yet another musical. There are musical numbers and performances in this sci-fi drama. Sure. So let's talk about that. This felt like Hunger Games meets Glee meets American Idol. Yeah, we're in a post-apocalyptic, very YA-friendly world where teens are the ones who are selected to compete to, I guess, be saviors of the community. And how did you feel about this story relative to the tons of other YA stories out there? It fits in really well, which Mm -hmm. is a good and bad thing. It's going to appeal to its target market, but I don't know if it brings enough new elements. What did you think? I agree. Nothing about it felt new. I think the music is what they tried to get an edge with. But because they spent this first episode introducing the world, introducing the characters, we didn't get to the thing that sets it apart, which I believe will be the music. But they do a good job of explaining everything that's happened. And I didn't feel confused at any point during this pilot, except for when there was a a voiceover from Snoop Dogg. That was confusing. Yes, the premise is easy to understand, which is nice because they have a lot of their own language and rules and setups for everything, but it's easy to follow along. So let's talk about a couple of these characters. How did you feel about our leads are Aaliyah, who is a dancer. Her father is in the tribunal, which is the ruling group of that community. And Bodhi, who is a singer from the reform district. Yeah, so it's that Romeo and Juliet, we're two people from different worlds. You're the rich girl of privilege. I'm the poor guy struggling and here's my chance. 
So that's, now that I'm saying that, that's also very uh, done before storyline. Yeah, it's like, even when you peel back the layers, it's still pretty in line with other things we've seen before. I don't think it does it necessarily poorly. Right. It's just very in line with what we've seen. Speaking of the tribunal, though, how did you feel about them being in this communist, authoritarianist regime? I thought it was strange. I would be questioning authority a lot if I lived there. I guess if the world has survived an apocalypse or some sort of tragic event that destroyed the whole country, and you had this leader, Gaia, who said, if we're going to survive, you guys got to farm, you guys got to do this, you guys got to do this, you would accept that. Mm -hmm. And then over time, that becomes the norm, unfortunately. And I think that's where they are because they say this is the 73rd exemplar. So they've been doing this for a while and they're just blindly accepting what they've been told. I mean, we saw that on Hunger Games too. I think when you experience this huge collective trauma, perhaps anyone that saves you from it, you will then refer to them as leader Gaia or whomever they are. Yeah. What did you think of them having a number instead of a last name as part of this whole structure? You're Aaliyah 5. I was confused by that. When I looked on the IMDb to look up the performers on the show, I initially thought that there were two or three (laughs) or five of each of the characters. And that felt to me like another strategy of helping strip any individual identification from you and Mm -hmm. make you part of this whole community. Yeah, you're just the next Aaliyah, the next Bodhi, the Mm -hmm. next Tempo. Tempo was quite the name. Tempo uh, is a dancer from the Progress District with Aaliyah. And there's going to be a love triangle, I think, between him, Aaliyah, and Bodhi. Mm -hmm. What did you think of Magnus, our troublemaker? I loved Mags. I (laughs) thought Mags was the most interesting part of this pilot. He's just living his best life. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Because they come from a poor district. So Mags is just enjoying being in that mansion for the exemplar. Mm Mm-hmm. And speaking of the exemplar, we got to see some of the performances, how they honor their history and their culture, musical numbers, people playing instruments, dancing. As our resident musicals expert, how did you feel about what you saw? I am expert by default. Uh, I will literally read my notes for the listeners. When okay. They did their kind of trial performances when the exemplar started. Piano playing, singing, dancing, very inspirational and cult-like lyrics. Yes. And we can get into this because there's the moment of conflict in the show of the secret party. Yeah, so there's a mystery that's brought up. So they're heading to their rooms. Everyone has their own individual space in the academy. And they're all left these sketchy notes that say, meet us in the forbidden woods tonight at 10 p.m. Don't tell anyone. And they all seem to go. Because they think it's a test. But then they also think this is like a trick test. Yes, because they did see two contestants get kicked out after what I thought were decent performances, but were deemed as poor performances. Yeah, so they're all risk takers. And they all just happily go into the woods based on this invitation. But speaking of cult-like lyrics, what you'll see in the premise of this show is Bodhi and Aaliyah break off and discover this archive and library of confiscated history and music. Yeah, lots of cultural knowledge. 
which was obviously suppressed in order to keep controlling people and having this unified identity. And so we're seeing them start to build this independence that wasn't there before. And you can tell that they weren't at all independent because as you said in their performances, the lyrics were like, you know, we're happy to be here. We're happy to play our roles. You're the best. Tribunal rules. Bye. Yeah. Just stick to the status quo. And now they're listening to music. I'd also say, listeners, this isn't really a spoiler. The first song that they hear is Juicy by Notorious B.I.G. If you listen to our supporting cast review of High Fidelity, BJ makes fun of me for saying that I listen to Juicy every single day to get my day going. So I like this full circle moment of the following week. We get to hear that song again because it's just reinforced that it's a good song, gets you going. Great for independent thinkers like me, Aaliyah, and Bodhi. So uh, in the words of Michael Scott, BJ, boom, roasted. So now that we know Me Too is officially a troublemaker rebelling against the government and society, what would you rate Utopia Falls on Hulu? As a happy citizen who isn't up to any trouble, doesn't have any rebellious thoughts, happy with the status quo member of society, I would probably rate Utopia Falls would not watch again, not only because I reject the rebellious nature of the show (laughs) as a member of society who follows the rules really strongly. Also because, (laughs) also because I think there are better sci-fi shows out there. And the added element of the singing and dancing, I just don't think Utopia Falls is for me or for our other listeners who don't really do sci-fi or fantasy. I might give it one more episode, but I just, I don't know if this is the show for us, my fellow non-sci-fi fantasy folks. So I agree, unfortunately. I would not watch again. Mm. It kind of reminds me of Pandora, which we reviewed on The CW. So another teen-friendly, YA-friendly sci-fi series. But this is... Pulling the best elements from a lot of YA series I like, like Hunger Games, but there isn't anything new or fresh enough to keep me hooked. Agreed. It doesn't stand out against the genre. Though, another show that does certainly stand out that features young people struggling is I Am Not Okay With This on Netflix. So I Am Not Okay With This on Netflix is based on the graphic novel of the same name by Charles Forsman. The show stars Sydney Novak, played by Sophia Lillis, who navigates life as a teenager with major anger issues and who lost the only person who understood her, which was her father. Her best friend, Dina, is played by Sophia Bryant, and her mother, Maggie, is played by Kathleen Rose Perkins. Her relationship with both of these women is straining, especially her relationship with Maggie, and it seems like the only person left whom she loves is her little brother, Liam, played by Aiden Wojtak-Hissong. And she also has a very Roger on sister-sister neighbor, Stanley, played by Wyatt Olaf, who wants to be best friends with her very badly. So I think a really important part about Sydney's life and story that we see in this episode is how she interacts with others, Mm -hmm. especially since she's lacking her father to interact with. So what did you think of the relationship with her best friend, Dina? That's the strongest one she has. She and Dina move to the town at the same time. And Dina is a popular girl, is friends with the jock that Sydney hates, and is dating him now. 
And they are very different personalities, but because they move there at the same time and because they were both fish out of water, they cling to each other. I couldn't tell, we talked about this before recording, if Sydney had a crush on Dina or because she has so few relationships, she's holding on tightly to that bond with Dina. Yeah, I think right now it's unclear, but it is clear that Dina is very important to her. And so that's why she's kind of more judgmental of Dina dating Brad. And she just wants to make sure that she preserves the one good, happy relationship she has right now. Because her little brother, while she loves him dearly, she can't speak to like a peer, despite him being the most emotionally mature person in that house. He's not a... An emotional teenager with zits dealing with a guidance counselor. He doesn't understand those struggles. Yes. I also was impressed that within the 19 minutes of this show, they did a great job developing all of her relationships. I felt moved by the breakdown of relationship with her mother. The fact that she lost the only person who understands her, her father. The fact that she feels like she's losing the only other person that comes close to understanding her, Dina. I was moved by each of those. And you see how much she cares for her little brother, despite being so prickly toward others and angry. Yeah, that's a really good point. I was impressed, especially with the mother relationship, that they were able to show how distant and kind of unavailable her mother is in only two scenes, I believe. Mm -hmm. And that was enough to really strike home that She's going to have to go through this emotional trauma on her own because her mother has processed it in her own way and is not going back. Agreed. Her mom (laughs) is like, girl, he's gone. We'll figure it out. You figure it out. You figure it out. Did your brother eat dinner? That's all I'm concerned about. So how did you feel about the superpower element on the show? I thought it was like Matilda, but a darker version of it, even though Matilda was pretty dark. Yeah, Matilda was doing a lot of dark stuff. (laughs) But that's a really great reference I didn't think about. This is very Matilda-like, where she seems to have some psychic telekinetic powers that she doesn't understand and have manifested after a, a traumatic moment in her life. I was a little thrown off by them, but they don't seem out of place. No. I'm curious where they're going to go with it, because it doesn't seem like she's going to be a superhero. It doesn't seem like she and Dina are going to use these powers for fun adventures. I am worried that she might go down the path of hurting people for revenge or vengeance, but we'll see. It's a a nice way to shake up this storyline. I agree. I was surprised that in addition to building all of the relationships, they were able to introduce toward the end this supernatural element. How do you hope she'll use her powers? And do you think she'll tell Dina or her brother or her guidance counselor even? I could see her brother finding out and I could see her not confiding in Dina because she's losing Dina to the jock. But I could see a relationship developing with Stanley. Ooh. Do you think they will become closer friends? Like, is that going to be who she has to turn to? I think so. Because he's also so odd. It's like Zoe's Extraordinary Playlist, where you need something that someone who is already in this other world to be able to comprehend what you're experiencing. Yeah. And then the last question, the very beginning of the episode, we see Sydney walking down the street covered in blood. How do you think we get to that point? Oh, I don't know. Because I don't want to believe that she turns to villainy. 
That was a lot of blood. <laughs> I don't know. We'll see. Okay, me too. So what would you rate I Am Not Okay With This on Netflix? Would watch again, seriously. Oh. I really liked it. Y'all, this stands out amongst teen shows. If any of you are familiar with The End of the Effing World on Netflix, the same person who created the graphic novels that this show is based on created those as well. And the same director is involved in both projects. And that's an incredible show as well that I would strongly recommend. This is just, it's a little bloody for people who are sensitive to that. But otherwise, it is just so fun and compelling and interesting and has a lot of heart. You care a lot about the relationships. And it's 19 minute episodes. You just can't beat that. The length is a plus, but not a big enough plus for me. Mm. I would rate it would watch again while doing laundry. I'm not going to invest that much time into the story, but it is very relatable with all the characters and the kind of relationships that Sydney has are so real that that has at least piqued my interest enough to see a little bit more. All right, Beach. Typically, our mid-roll ads are about other products, mm-hmm. but let's take a chance on us. Let's let's mid-roll the dice. Sure, we can do that. And if we get a lucky roll, then our listeners will check out the pilot podcast, Deep Dive. This is where we take a listener-recommended show, and we spend 15 to 20 minutes really dissecting the show and our opinions, and let you know our rating if that show is worth watching and why in full extra detail. And on the pilot podcast, Deep Dive, is where we're working through that list of great shows that y'all have recommended to us. So we've done Apple TV's C, we've done... High Fidelity on Hulu. And DuckTales on Disney. And we have a ton of other great shows lined up next. And, of course, would love to hear your suggestions as supporting cast supporters of what you want to listen to next so we'll add to the queue. Exactly. We're creating premium content for our listeners like you. So sign up to listen to our pilot podcast deep dive episodes at join.thepilotpodcast.com. And now back to our regularly scheduled programming. All right. So speaking of people who are struggling despite their talents, let's take it over, still in the Netflix universe, to Hentified. Stemming from the 2017 web series of the same name, we meet three cousins pursuing their passions. Anna, played by Carrie Martin, is an aspiring artist who dates Jessica, whom you'll recognize from Pero Like, Jalisa Calderon. Chris, played by... Carlos Santos is an aspiring chef, and Eric, played by JJ Sona, is stepping up his hustle because he learns his girlfriend Lydia is pregnant. Set against the backdrop of gentrification in Boyle Heights, the family is struggling to keep up with the costs of new LA. Their grandpa, Casimiro, played by Joaquin Cosio, owns their taco shop that really sustains all of their existences. And Wilmer Valderrama plays Rob or Roberto, who is the restaurant's landlord, who is urging them to get with the times by doubling their rent. Hey, rent prices are going up everywhere. Yep. So, Beach, how'd you feel about it? I think once again, we're in a situation where we have these really real relationships. And what shines in this series is the family dynamics. Yes. Not just... How do you interact with your friends at school? How do you interact with your community at large? But seeing how do you and your cousins get along when you work together, play together, see each other all the time, and depend on each other. 
And they all hate Chris. I like Chris because Chris is thinking about himself and is trying to go to Paris. Yes. What did you think of the family dynamics and the storyline, Mama Fina's taco restaurant? So with the family dynamics, one of the issues that helps build a lot of the tension is the gentrification. So they're all dealing with their identities. Jessica is too black. Anna is too much of a dreamer. She wants to be an artist. She doesn't want a day job. Chris is looking out for himself being a chef at a restaurant versus working at the family taco shop. So they're seeing him as a sellout. Eric is pushing Casimiro to raise the prices, feel comfortable firing some of his staff because he's trying to hustle. So he's looking like his own almost version of a sellout as well. And all of these identity issues are being exacerbated by the fact that their neighborhood is looking different. This place that they identify with so closely is shifting. And, you know, you want to strike that balance of embracing the new people, figuring out how to take advantage of raising prices in order to survive, but also not doing that so well that all of a sudden someone buys your taco shop and it becomes a soul cycle. Yeah, they're in a tough situation where they need to modernize and keep up to maintain their business as profitable, but they don't want to end up changing too much where they get pushed out of their own home and neighborhood. Exactly. And that heightens tensions, right? Like you can be mad at your cousin, but then it's a different thing. You know, Eric, for example, is mad at Anna for their grandpa paying her rent and he wants her to get a real job and get out there. But then I would be even madder if my livelihood depended on it and also the livelihood of my on and off girlfriend who I'm linked to forever because we have this future child to take care of. Mm -hmm. And then your identity is so closely tied with your community. It sounds like they've been in this community forever. So that's slipping away from you too. That's a lot. Yeah, you don't want to end up as the potato or coconut of your family. Brown on the outside, white on the inside, and a sellout. But also, they managed to fit in so much humor. I was surprised to find myself laughing a lot. It's good that they put in some light moments, or this could have been a very heavy and sad show. It would have been like Party of Five, which wasn't bad, but it is heavy. Yeah, we see them enjoying themselves because... At the end of the day, even when your life sucks, you need a break. Mm -hmm. So head to the bar, have some drinks with friends, do some karaoke, late night drunk tamales. Yes. For the record, BJ is not describing. This is not my life at all. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) But it looked like they were having fun. Yes. Honestly, when they were eating those late night tamales, I got hungry. See, you can relate. To the tamales. And the karaoke. I hate karaoke. singing. I hate karaoke. Don't. Do that. The reason she's anti-musical is because she only likes her voice. Okay. Anyway. So one fun fact, our girl from Superstore, Woo. America Ferrara, is an EP on the show. And if some of the promotional material is accurate, she'll have a guest role or a small recurring role later on. It was really cool to see Wilmer Valderrama on the show. So I'm excited to see her on it too, if that's true and she'll be on there. Yeah, I'm always happy to see her working more. I have loved her truly since I was a teenager. Oh, she did that Disney Channel movie. She did a few that were so good. And some independent films I remember when I was a kid that really, I don't know. I really grew up on her. I 
I might be America Ferrara Hive. All right, Beach, you've taken the wind out from beneath my wings. As I always do. What would you rate Hentified on Netflix? I would rate this would watch again casually. No, while doing laundry. I like the family dynamics. That's what's appealing to me. The overall story. I think only certain characters seemed interesting. Anna and Chris were the highlights for me. Eric and Casimiro frustrated me. Mm. So I think that kind of pulls me out of wanting to watch it seriously, but I'll keep going. What about you? I would watch again casually. I don't think I'm going to binge it. And it's hard to binge things because there's so much content now. But I would certainly recommend seeing this story through to the end. It was so good. So speaking of a series, it's all about love and the people you care about in your lives. How about we discuss Cherish the Day on Own, a love story? I would love to. I love a love story. From Ava DuVernay, Cherish the Day is an anthology series that follows Evan and Gently over eight episodes. The series spans five years, actually, and each episode signifies a significant day in their relationship. We meet Gently, played by Zosha Rockmore from Mindy Project, and Evan, played by Alano Miller, as they love and leave their respective romantic partners, because the beginning of the episode is a very gratuitous side-by-side sex scene. (laughs) 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 But then after that, Evan meets Gently as she tries to turn in overdue books for the woman she is a caretaker for, Miss Luma, played by Cicely Tyson. And their meeting sets us off on a journey of watching Gently and Evan fall for each other despite their hesitation, baggage, and very different backgrounds. So how did you feel about this love story? I feel like you're not a romance person. Correct. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) But I will say, similar to other series that we've discussed today, when you have authentic relationships portrayed in a TV series, that Mm -hmm. makes it appealing. So while I might not care about the romance part... I do like seeing what feels like real people going on a first date and how you will interact meeting some of their family members, important people in their lives, checking out their favorite spots in town. That's that's a, a good trait to have in a show. I think often with media starring marginalized people, especially with love stories, there's this element of trauma included, right? Like we couldn't get Brokeback Mountain. We It had to be this like, very traumatic thing where they're each married and they're struggling. And we, you know, queen and slim, whatever you say about it, it's it has so much trauma. Whereas with this, it just felt like a nice love story. It was like moonlight where you see extremely beautiful shots of black skin. They were lit so well, but they're just having a regular day falling in love with each other. And there Mm -hmm. wasn't this big traumatic event or big dramatic event. You just saw two people falling for each other. And then the tension came naturally because as with many people that you meet, you'll disagree on different things. For them, Evan comes from a wealthy background. He comes from a rich neighborhood, went to Stanford, drives a Tesla, and gently comes from a rougher background, a neighborhood that Evan made fun of unknowingly. She was raised by her uncle after her father was killed. And the tension is there between the class differences But it's just nice to see a real, like you said, authentic relationship play out. 
Yeah. And speaking of those differences with their different backgrounds, what do you think about the message they were throwing out separate from the romance of do you follow your dreams and be a dreamer or do you make that sacrifice to get your paycheck and work a job you might not like that much? That's true. So Zosha went the route of after high school, buying a one-way ticket to Europe and working her way through Europe and exploring, whereas Evan did what you're supposed to of getting out of college, getting a job at a software firm, not super loving his job, but making good money Mm -hmm. and again, having his Tesla. So they each followed what they thought were the right paths for them. And Mm -hmm. I thought that was a cool tension of the show of You could see the pro con to the routes that each of them took. And I immediately pictured people that I could think of who went both of those routes. We know people who, you know, go the, I'm going to backpack through Southeast Asia or Europe route. Always traveling, even now. Yes. And we know people who work jobs they don't love, but are making enough money in order to pursue their passion later. So delaying their gratification. Yeah. But making money now. So you get the value of both. I loved that tension. Exactly. And I like that they presented that neither side is the right side. It really just depends on what the person wants in life. That's the note that the show ended on of their conflict over their different approaches to life. And I think things tend to be so black and white in how we see things discussed in media and online and even in depictions of stuff, there's right and wrong. And it was so cool to see this just laying out what they did. And that's just what happened. There's no like right or wrong. It just is how it is. Yeah, there's a different refrigerator for every kitchen. You'll get that if you watch the pilot. (laughs) And then how did you feel about Zosha as a lead? We've seen her in a lot of supporting roles. In Mm -hmm. this one, she gets to be Miss... Charming Gently James. Yeah. So I've seen her in some smaller roles in movies. I really liked her in the Mindy Project as a nurse. But I think she really held her own as Gently. And she led this episode, in my opinion. I think the only person who I was drawn to in scenes that featured her was Cicely Tyson. Mm -hmm. I thought Zosha had my full attention, except for when she was with Cicely Tyson, because Cicely Tyson is just magnetic. And they had good chemistry, so it was fun seeing them together as well. Agreed. And last question, mm-hmm. how did you feel about the structure of the show, an anthology series? So if they got a second season, we would do a new couple. Ooh. So I went into this not knowing it was an anthology series. I think that makes it more appealing because I don't think I want to see date two. Mm-hmm. But maybe what happens to them if they move in together 18 months from now. I don't actually know what happens in episode two. But something like that. I think that's a more interesting way to see a show progress, which actually reminds me of a series from A to Z, which got canceled, but used to be on NBC. And that was highlighting big moments in the relationship between two characters as they were dating from when they met to, well, I don't think we saw in the end. <laughs> <laughs> so this is a, a nice format, like also 500 Days of Summer, because you don't really want to see every day. In a relationship, there are some boring time points. Most of them are. So this gives you all the highlights. How convenient. I love it. All right, Beach, I'm ready to rate. Me too. What would you give Owns Cherish the Day? I would rate this Would Watch Again While Cooking. As you hinted at the top, romance is not my go-to genre, even less so than comedies. (laughs) (laughs) 
But I could definitely see myself catching the highlights of an episode while cooking dinner. You know, if I'm doing a very long recipe and will be in the kitchen for a while, this would be good to have on. I would recommend to our listeners who like romance at all, love stories, all. <laughs> romantic movies, romantic comedies. If you just love love, then watch this show seriously. I absolutely loved it. What are you saying about me and my opinion on love? If you love seeing love depicted, mm-hmm. let's say that. Okay. 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 Speaking of fresh and new depictions of love, like anthology series, now we're going to go never before used night vision cameras. <laughs> that makes sense. So you're actually talking about Night on Earth. This is a documentary series on Netflix. And you might be thinking, is this just planet Earth at night? And the answer is no. No. They are using amazing new camera technology. Might remind you of what's in the new iPhone 11 Pro with night mode. But now we can see things we've never seen before. Things that glow. Things that can also see in the dark. Things that can't see in the dark, but that's not a problem. We can now see it all. So in Night on Earth, we explore the plains of the Savannah Desert in East Africa. Then we go to the Sonoran Desert in Arizona. And then the Peruvian Desert slash ocean. Mm -hmm. How did you feel about the technology used to depict such different places? I really liked the variety of the scenes that they were able to portray. They had a good use of these highly sensitive cameras that can pick up on little bits of light and the moonlight, as well as using some infrared cameras to give us a different view. They threw in some time lapse. So they really took advantage of what technology can now offer. And I'm always kind of amazed how they're able to put cameras in these places and the animals just act naturally. (laughs) Act naturally. (laughs) True. The animals don't react to the cameras at all. They just continue business as usual, as far as we know. Yeah, this could all be staged. I thought the technology did a great job, like you said, of heightening the experience. And then also, my crush, Samira Wiley, as narrator, gave such credence to the drama Mm -hmm. of the animal kingdom. She really makes a story out of the scenes that we see. And that makes it more engaging and really pulls you in. But I will say there is one thing that we both noted, and you might want to talk a little bit about this, is how it looked surreal. The cameras Mm -hmm. were maybe too good at depicting what's going on at night. I felt like I was looking at a video game or some sort of otherworldly thing. And there's a a couple times where they show you the same land during the day. And I felt disoriented by looking at just the regular world during the day because I got so used to this alien world. Mm -hmm. And for people like me who sometimes feel weird about nature shows because I get sad when the animals are caught and killed. I warned you there wouldn't be much death in this. Yes. But even the death that was in this, I don't know how to say this. It, It didn't feel as painful because everything looked so weird. I felt like I was watching just... A fiction show. That's how they get you. They don't want you to feel it too much. Mm -hmm. So you accept it. I mean, but speaking of killing, we didn't see that much because lions are not as strong as I thought they were. They failed. Do you want to talk about them trying to attack a porcupine mother and her babies? Y'all, these lions ran up on this porcupine and her babies and she 
was able to, as porcupines do, shoot her spikes at them. And that was an effective deterrent. And I was just surprised to see that a lion was taken down by a porcupine. Was not only taken down, but was, in my opinion, foolish enough to try and grab the porcupine. Yes. (laughs) So then you see the lion try to pull the spikes out, which was a really weird view with the camera. Mm -hmm. You could see the spikes in the paw. Very, in a large paw. Yes. And then the porcupine and her baby don't run away. They (laughs) casually walk away because she knows they're not going to try that again. Yeah. They know they won and they're like, okay, we're just going to move over there. You're still too close. Mm -hmm. But you know not to mess with us. And then the other animal they really focused on were the cheetahs. Ooh, it was fun to see the cheetahs. Always a cool animal. Yes. And we both learned that they do a lot of their hunting at night. So this show or this documentary style, I believe they posit, proved that cheetahs are much more nocturnal and hunt at night because there had never been footage of that or documented cases of that before. Mm -hmm. We just never saw them out there. Mm -hmm. But they were there the whole time running around. I'm not trying to punk lions. (laughs) I don't want to offend members of the lion community, but this lion tried to run after this cheetah Then the cheetah obviously did what cheetahs do and went quickly. Mm -hmm. And the lion barely trotted after it and then sat. Oh, I remember that one. It gave up mid-stride. Yes. Yeah, I don't even think it broke into a trot. It started to, and then it was like, ugh, it's been a day. All the lions in this documentary, in the first episode, they seemed disappointing. Mm -hmm. Not as threatening or as aggressive as you might expect. I think lion PR has to work triple time now if they want to keep being considered kings of the jungle. Yeah, they need to fix their reputation because this documentary is leaking their secrets. They need like those thank you for smoking PR people from that movie and they need they need like the tobacco lobby mm-hmm. level PR to fix what's happened. Because all of this was hidden in the darkness and now these new fancy cameras are revealing lions are not as cool as some other animals. Yeah. Shocking. What are some other animals you want to highlight? Well, y'all, I want to talk to you about my new favorite animal. (laughs) In the sand, we meet a star. She shimmers. She burrows. She has skin and fur that have grown over her eyes, so she can't open them, which is good because of the sand. She has bones in her ears so strong that she can hear termite steps. Termites. And we got to meet the desert golden mole. Like we declared with Doug (laughs) on McMillions, with Sharice on High Fidelity, on Night on Earth, a star was born. Her name, the desert golden mole. Yes, this is Miti's favorite, not mine. An icon. Also nicknamed the Shark of the Dunes. Yes. Which is a cool nickname. Cool. Very strange animal. You saw her take down that termite. She just... Came out of the sand, ate it, and burrowed back in. And guess what couldn't get her? Y'all's favorite animal on Twitter, the owl. That owl was perched up on the branch, trying to figure out how to get to her, how to get to her, shifting, shifting. But no, she waited. Because if you can hear the pitter-patter of termites, you can hear an owl's killer instinct. And she did not move an inch. She did not let that owl get her. That's true. Mm-hmm. Owls, supervision. What are they no match for? The golden mole. I guess. You want to know which animal was my star? Okay. I'm just surprised that there's another star when there can only be one, but go ahead. Really, 
It's another champion, underdog, mm-hmm. who defeated a glow-in-the-dark scorpion. Fine. The grasshopper desert mouse can defeat a scorpion with a poison stinger. It's not afraid. A glow-in-the-dark scorpion. Yeah. You had two scorpions fighting this mouse, patiently watching from around the corner. It goes in. The scorpion's like, I have poison. I can win. The mouse, not affected, and then eats it. That mouse kind of reminds me of you. Excuse you? If you had a potential predator, and that predator were fighting another predator, Mm -hmm. I know you would just wait around the corner for them to tire each other out. Are you the mole who's just lurking underneath your prey? I'm burrowing. I'm the sand dune shark. Come up, eat, head away. Yeah. Head back down. Because the name of the game, as Samira put, is survival. Eat and run. Eat and run. Okay. Anyway, listeners, there are a lot of cool animals. There are even more animals that we didn't talk about. We could go on and on. We could do a whole podcast about this show. We won't. Because you probably don't want to just listen to us recap. Every minute. Email us at askthepilotpodcast.com if you do want us to, because BJ and I talked about these animals for maybe 30 minutes before recording. So, Beach, what would you give Netflix's Night on Earth? I would rate it Would Watch Again Seriously. Wow. This is an excellent documentary. I agree. I am more casually, because I don't think I'm going to binge it. I'm not binging it. I don't binge shows. But you would watch every single episode. Yeah. Me too. So maybe I am seriously, yeah. Yeah, you're committed, just at your own pace. Certainly. Mm-hmm. Very good show. Mm-hmm. All right, Beach, where can people find more episodes of the Pilot Podcast in case they want to binge our reviews? Ooh, just head to our website at thepilotpodcast.com, or you can subscribe to us on your favorite podcast platform. You can follow us on Twitter and on Instagram at the Pilot Pod. You can send thoughts, feelings, show suggestions, your favorite animals, um, any facts you have about the Golden Desert Mole to askthepilotpodcast at gmail.com. Thanks for listening. Bye.